your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy, if you would. It's our second message of what's supposed to be a 12-week series. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do an addendum message next Sunday that wasn't in the, my lineup as we're preaching on people through the book of 1 Timothy. Last Sunday, of course, was looking at the young man, specifically Timothy himself. This morning, obviously, we want to look at the lost man, as we see in the Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the great apostle Paul. But next Sunday, I noticed all the different people groups in this book of 1 Timothy, one people group that's missing, and I thought, you know, in 33 plus years of pastoring, I believe I've only preached one message uh, on this subject, a whole message on this subject, and that is uh, next Sunday happens to be Right to Life weekend, of course, or, and uh, I'd like to preach on the innocence, on why our Christians, why we are pro-life, why the Bible teaches pro-life, and preach on the infants or the innocents. Uh, uh, next Sunday morning, and so it's not found in our text of First Timothy, but we'll we'll find other places in the scriptures where God sanctifies the gift of life, of course, and we'll, Lord willing, uh, that's will be our subject next Sunday, and we'll just add to our week of serious messages uh, messages on people just by one week. First Timothy chapter one, one text verses I always like to choose, but we have a secondary. We'll start with verse number nine. It says, knowing this, that the law was not made for a righteous man. The law was not made for a righteous man. The law was not made for a righteous man. I'm stuck, I'm sorry. No, I did that on purpose, of course. The Bible says it's not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners. And then the list goes on for unholy and profane and murderers and etc. We see a whole group of people there that we could summarize in one word. The law was made for the lost man. And verse 15 is our text verse. It's a great verse to memorize. I take umbrage, or if the word of God wasn't inspired, and it is, every word of it, by the Holy Spirit of God. If Paul wrote this by his own volition, I would take issue with it, but he did not. But he said these words here, and if you can quote it or read it with me, please do. Uh, Let me start. This is a faithful saying. Let's try it together. I'm sorry. Here we go. Ready? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Saul of Tarsus said that he was the chief of sinners. I take umbrage with that, that uh, I can contest that, that I am the chief of sinners. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm saved, man, but I was once, once upon a time I was a lost man. And I want to give you the messages this morning. I'm trying to be simplistic on purpose, and that should be easy for me to do, to be simple. I'm a simple type of guy to begin with. But I want to just give you six things to know about the lost man. Six things to know about the lost man. Now, the gospel of Christ is powerful. Romans 1.16 tells us that. It's powerful enough to save anyone that comes unto him, but it's only applicable, the gospel is only applicable to those that are, know they are lost. Now, I want to give you six identifiers of a lost man. The first identifier of a lost man, another group, people group, and there's really only two types of people in all the world. There's those that are saved, that were lost, and those that are lost, that are still lost. Maybe I'm speaking to you this morning here in that second category. The definition of a lost man. The lost man is, number one, first of all, without God. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn, if you would, please. I want you to see the passage. It's about 10 pages previous in your Bible, the Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter number two, verse number one. A lost man is without God. Many men that are lost and women that are lost think they already have God. They talk about the brotherhood of man or the fatherhood of God. Well, the Bible says, and you, Ephesians 2.1, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, by the way, Lucifer. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, or that old King James English, our, old, our lifestyle, in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the, the mind. And notice the phrase, and we're by nature, verse 3, we're by nature, we're natural born sinners. Naturally, we're born lost men. The wicked go astray from the womb as soon as they be born, speaking lies. The, and we're nature, the children of wrath, even as others. Now skip down if you're in Ephesians chapter 2, notice verse number 12. See, a lost man is without God. The Bible says, concerning a lost man, that in verse number 2, or number 12 rather, Ephesians 2, that at that time you were without Christ. Every lost man is without Jesus Christ. Not only are you without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope. A lost man has no hope in and of himself. A lost man has no hope. He has no, he has no Christ. He has no hope. But the verse goes on to say, and without God in the world, you see, you don't have, you don't have God. You're without God as a lost man because you don't have Jesus Christ. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. People say, I believe in God, therefore I'm going to heaven. No, you're not. You're lost. Many people believe in God. The Hindu believes in gods. The Muslim believes in God, or a God of their choice, Allah by name. The, the, we could go through all the isms, all the, 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 the Buddhists believe in God. It's not enough to believe in God. The devils believe also and tremble. You believe in the true God. That true God is manifested in the person, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, the lost man has not Jesus Christ. He has not Jesus Christ. He has not, pardon me, he's without God. He's without Christ. He's without the spirit of God. In fact, even this message will not make total sense to a lost man, not because my, I, my delivery may be flawed, but it won't make total sense because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they're, spirit, they're spiritually discerned. You see, a lost man, the things of God are strange to him. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to him. He can't comprehend it. Why? They're without God. They're without Christ. They're without the Holy Spirit of God. They're without hope. And so the first thing that a lost one is, if you're here and you say, I'm not understanding, okay, I'm trying to help you. The Spirit of God can work in your heart. He's not in your heart right now if you don't know Christ as your Savior, but he can be in your heart. But hear me, you pray a prayer of asking God to reveal truth to you right now, you that are lost. So a lost man is without God. But secondly, a lost man, Paul said, Saul of Tarsus, the great blasphemer, the great injurious one, the great... Uh, persecutor of the church. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
of whom I am chief. He was without God, although he thought he had God, but he didn't have God before he was saved. He was an opposer of God. He was a poster of Jesus Christ. But a lost man is without God. Secondly, a lost man is spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.5, if you're still there, if you haven't turned back to Ephesians 2.5, let me just quote you the verse. It says, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Turn to Romans chapter 3, please. Would you turn to Romans chapter 3? I want you to see these verses. I was talking this past week, just a few days ago, as a matter of fact. I was talking to a lost man. Now this man, and I'll be elusive and don't ask me after the service, you don't know him anyhow. He's my acquaintance. Uh, I esteemed him very rich, very well off in this world, far well off, more well off than myself and probably most 99% of all, everyone in this room, maybe all of you in this room. He's a very wealthy man, quite frankly, I was talking to, at least in my estimation. Not as rich as Bezos, but rich. And uh, I finally got the lead in. Now, we were just talking, and he finally gave me the lead in to talk to him about spiritual things. So I just launched, as I call it. Just went right into the gospel. And I could tell very, very quickly, as soon as I started into the gospel, his tenant came up, and he realized I was in territory that he didn't care about, and he did everything he could to evade the subject. Very quickly, he got back on worldly things. I tried to bring him back one, one time, and... I just spewed out the gospel as fast as I could in about 30 seconds and you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and somehow he got off track and I, I realized he was not interested. Well, that's normal. I didn't tell him that, but it's totally normal because the lost man is spiritually dead. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse number 10, in fact, verse number 9, are we better than they? No, no wise. Verse number 10 says, Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together becoming unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Back to verse number 11 for just a sidebar for just a moment. There is none that seeketh after God. I was watching NFL football last night. I probably, you probably knew that, good for you. But I, I, was, I watched a little bit. I took, took a hiatus all last year. I didn't watch one second of it. But I, I, I've forgiven them a little bit now, and so I'm watching them a little bit. It's playoff time. And the Kansas City Chiefs are playing the Indianapolis Colts. Sorry, you Colts fans. But the, the Chiefs, they were showing the, the, the audience. It was cold, frigid, it was snowing, and it was a, a snowstorm came through Kansas, KC last night, Missouri. And uh, they had these fans, and they were all dressed up in Indian costumes, and they had the paint on, and they were screaming at the top of their lungs. They made me look like a sane person, I'll tell you right now. They were fanatics. And I had this thought as I was watching, I says, you know, and the stadium was packed. I mean, you couldn't get it. There wasn't one seat open, freezing. And I, today there's some games on. And I thought, you know what? We'd have to have, we have two morning services. We'd have to have five services. Every church in America would have to have five services. We'd have packed out auditoriums. If we could get the crowd on NFL playoff Sundays that the, the crowd has on television watching their, their, their games, they're seeking after who's going to win the, the football game, and they're fanatics about it. 
If we could only, oh, if men would only seek after God in the same manner that they seek after NFL football. Well, that was free. That wasn't part of the message. I just thought I'd insert that in there. Verse number 12, back to Romans 3. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. We'll talk about it next week a little bit. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18 summarizes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, that gentleman that I was talking to, that's very wealthy and wise in this world, he had no fear of God, but he had fear of the markets. The stock market I'm talking about. He had fear of man, fear of his future, but not fear, fear of his eternity. They're spiritually dead. They don't care. Go back to 1 Timothy now, chapter 1, and look at verse number 13 as we begin to take apart the passage. Saul of Tarsus, the lost man that he was, said, who, who was before a blasphemer? He knew what he was before he got saved. A persecutor, injurious, but I obtained mercy because he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Every sinner is ignorant about the law of God. Every sinner is ignorant, but not innocent. I gave the story, and I'll give you the short-run version, but the last ticket I got was about seven years ago. I'll go to my grave mad about that ticket. You ever get a ticket you're mad about? The only one that I, 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 I pled not guilty for, and I, and I, uh, and I, uh, and I went to court for it because I said, I'm not paying this ticket. I don't deserve to pay this ticket. I'm innocent, but I was guilty. Because innocence is no... Or, or ignorance is no excuse to not know the law. I was in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. I thought I was in a 50-mile-an-hour zone. I was doing 52, and they, they got me, and they nailed me royally. Ignorance is no excuse. You see, this, the, the, the sinner that's spiritually dead, he's ignorant, but he's not innocent. The sinner that's spiritually dead is indifferent, but not clueless. They don't care. No man seeketh after God. I don't care if I defiled God. I don't care if I, uh, what you think of God. I don't mind blaspheming his name. The sinner is, thirdly, indicted but not repentant. Like me, and I got that ticket. I'm still unrepentant about it. I had to pay the ticket, but I'm unrepentant about it. Shouldn't have had to pay it. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. And The rain and the storm comes on both the saint and the sinner. And bad things happen, and to the, when you're a sinner, you, you blame God, the one God that you won't, won't worship. And so sinners that are spiritually dead are ignorant but not innocent. They're indifferent but not clueless. They're, they're uh, indicted but not repentant. But thirdly, I want you to know the third truth about sinners, or about lost man, excuse me, is that lost man is condemned by the law. Look at verses 9 and 10 of our text once again, one more time. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, for profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Now, I'm innocent of pretty much all that whole list, I think. Verse number 10, for whoremongers, for those that defile themselves of mankind, 
for men stealers. I still, I still think I'm innocent, but I get to the middle part of verse number 10 for liars. Anybody here ever told a lie? Oh, I know. We only tell white lies, little white lies, right? No. The Bible says, for whosoever should keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Galatians 3, 10 and 11 says this, for as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, curses everyone that continues not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident the just shall live by faith. The lost man who's, he's under the law, he's condemned by the law. It was made for the lost man, it was made for sinners, for unholy and profane, unrighteous. And the law condemns. The law doesn't give life, but Jesus Christ came to give life. And so the a lost man is without God. He's, without, he's spiritually dead. He's condemned by the law. But fourthly, and this is very sobering, Matthew chapter 18, the lost man is on his way to hell. Hell, yes. Not hell, no. Hell, yes. I don't mean to, I don't like to preach it today. In fact, I, I shudder having to preach on hell, and that's to my condemnation. But there was a fire, hellfire and brimstone preacher, his name was Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew chapter 8, verse eight, or 18, rather, verse 8, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut it off, or cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Pardon me, I just go into, you know, it'd be nice to be a rich man. I just, pardon me, I saw that Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, the divorce. It's going to be the two richest people in the whole world. Uh, Mrs. Bezos, soon to be Mrs. whatever her, Miss whatever her name is. They're going to split $128 billion if the law goes the way it's supposed to go. Their whole life, they're, they're living for, the Bible says it this way, what shall profit a man if he gained the whole world? You say, boy, I wish I had a billion dollars. How, much, how many wish you had a million dollars? How many, you know, how, a thousand would do right now, right? Yeah, amen. We, we you know, we kind of smile, we chuckle at that, but they, they might have everything that man has, but to go to hell, is it worth billions of dollars to go to hell? I'd rather be a pauper and go to heaven than be a billionaire and go to hell. Jesus went on to say, in having two, or, uh, and if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that thou despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you there, that in heaven there's angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Jesus gave the invitation after he gave the warning of hell. Revelation 20 and verse 15 says it this way, and whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Bertrand Russell, the famous infidel of 100 years ago, philosopher infidel, said of Christ, there is only one serious defect in my mind to Christ's moral character, and that is that he believed in hell. I do not find myself, I do not feel, feel, pardon me, let's try that again. I do not myself feel that any person who is profoundly humane, the words of Bertrand Russell, 
can believe in everlasting punishment. Thank you, Mr. Russell, for informing us that you're more humane, profoundly humane than Jesus Christ. That's what he was saying. Thank you, Mr. Russell, for being honest. He, he said to reject the teaching of hell is to reject Jesus Christ. You can't have it both ways. You can't be on your way to heaven if you know, don't know you're on your way to hell first. You never got saved from anything. See, Jesus taught that hell was an actual place. It's not a state of mind. How many people say, well, hell's on earth? By the way, some people make a form of hell on earth. That's true. But hell is not on earth. Hell is not a state of mind. Hell is the real place. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. Turn, if you would, please, to Luke 16. Turn there, please. Luke chapter 16. There's some 34, I believe it is, recorded parables that Jesus Christ spoke in the four Gospels. Many call this a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I do not believe it's a parable because if it is a parable, it's the only parable that Jesus used a specific name in. He talked about Lazarus. He's at the beggar's gate, or rather he was begging at the gate. He was probably, he was a leper. The rich man died in, the Bible says in verse number 22 of Luke 16, notice what it says, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes. Hell's a real place. It has a real name. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not a state of mind. If hell is a state of mind, then heaven's a state of mind. You can't have it both ways. Jesus taught hell was an actual place. He not only that taught it was an actual place, but he taught that hell is a place of torment. The Bible says the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments, verse number 23. Later on in verse number 24, he said, Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know why us saved people, if you're saved, I would never want to go to hell. Unless maybe it was for 30 seconds. A minute would probably be too long. But I don't know why God didn't allow us to go to hell for one minute so we could know bodily, factually, physically, it's real. We fluff it off. Theologians say, well, that's polite people, politically correct speak. Says, oh, you don't believe in that real hell place, do you? Jesus did. He called it a real place. Like he called heaven a real place with streets of gold. And he said it's a place of torment. Some wild-eyed Baptist preacher didn't say that. Jesus Christ said that. Jesus taught it was a place of torment. It was, it was an actual place. And thirdly, Jesus taught, and we, us saved people, none of us in this room can begin to comprehend the fact that it lasts forever. We can't comprehend eternity Matthew 25, 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. 
Surely goodness and mercy, Psalm 23, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even as Christians, we can't comprehend that. How much less so can we comprehend an eternity in hell? Forever and ever and ever. And the smoke of their torment is sent up forever and ever. Oh, the Jehovah Witness, false witnesses get a lot of converts, and the Unitarians get a lot of converts, and, and the many apostate Protestants get a lot of converts because they teach a hell of annihilation. Hey, if you just want to live it up, and there are some people that will choose a lifestyle of 65, 50, 60, 70 years of partying, living up and going for all the guts that they can get if they just knew they'd be annihilated at the end. But the lost man is on his way to a real hell, a hell of torment, a hell that's forever. I'm not going to emotionally work up tears that I don't have right now. I should be far more emotional about this right now. I should be, and I'm admitting it. I'm just saying factually what the Word of God says and what Jesus Christ said. There really is a hell. It's hard for that to sink in. But the lost man is on his way to hell. You say, that's not politically correct. That's not, that's not nice to say. You can say whatever you want, but it doesn't change the truth of the matter. Fourthly, or fifthly, rather, a lost man, you see, he's without God. He's without understanding, no hope. Without Christ, without the Spirit of God. He's spiritually dead. He's ignorant and not innocent. He's indifferent and not, not clueless. He's indicted but not repentant. The lost man is condemned by the law, even though he doesn't, doesn't even realize the law. Sometimes ignorance is no excuse. He's still condemned. And he does many that he, know, he knows, knowing full well what's wrong, and he does it anyhow. He's on his way to hell, and they say many times the lost man will say other, to other men and lost women will say to other women, go, to the, go there. And they make the phrase, hell no, when it really is hell yes. Jesus taught it as an actual place, a place of torment, a place that's forever. But back in our text, back in First Timothy chapter 1, Paul said this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, Paul was on what was called the Damascus Road. I've stepped on that road. I think Karen and Bonnie had the privilege of stepping on that road. It's still there today, 2,000 years later. That Damascus Road and Jesus Christ revealed himself to him. You see, lost men, a lost man is in desperate need, whether they know it or not, to be told. The lost man is in desperate need to be told. The gospel story. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard or believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or a proclaimer? I've told the story 300 times, but here's 301. An 11-year-old boy went to that little country Baptist church in New Lyme, Ohio. New Lyme Baptist Church. 200 years they've been preaching the gospel. I sat there in that second row. The preacher preached on hell. I didn't want to go there. He gave me a gospel invitation that we'll do in just a few minutes from right now. I went forward. That did not save me. But I went back to the back preacher's office. That did not save me. The preacher prayed with me. That did not save me. But I prayed. And the Lord saved me. I asked Christ to come to my heart and save me. That day I was, went from a lost condition to a saved condition. But I had to be told. Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Peter said it this way. 
neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. The name that saves. Jehovah saves. We've heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Sinners, Jesus will receive. Sound this word of grace to all who the heavenly pathway leave, all who linger, all who fall. The lost man, whether they, he or she knows it or not, is in desperate need to be told the story, share the good news of Jesus Christ. That leads me to our sixth truth about a lost man. Yes, he or she, that lost person is without God, they're without Christ, they're without the Spirit of God, they're without hope, they're spiritually dead, they're ignorant, they're indifferent, and they're indicted. They're condemned by the law, ignorantly and willfully. There's ignorance is no excuse. They're on their way to hell, a real place, a place of torment, a place forever. They must be told. They must be told the gospel story, the good news story, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he's buried, that he rose again. But the lost man, sixthly, will be saved. A lost man can be saved if they will call on Christ. This is a faithful saying, after all, and worthy of all acceptation across the board that Christ Jesus came in to save sinners, of whom Paul said, I am chief. If you had a summary statement of 16 words to summarize the purpose of your life, what would it be? Jesus, at the age of 30 so or so, gave a 16-word, single-syllable, every single word, single-syllable statement of his life mission in Luke 19 and verse number 10 when he went to a dirty rich man by the name of Zacchaeus. We'll talk about rich man, Lord willing, in a couple months from now, one of the people categories of 1 Timothy. When Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man, 16 words, all single-syllable, his thesis statement of his purpose in coming to life. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If I understand that thesis statement, the Lord came for the lost. That's what he came for. Romans 10, 13 says it this way. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Consider that for a moment, the scope of the gospel. Whosoever. I got to be careful. We're on podcast now. And I, I had a missionary call me. One of our missionaries called me from Madagascar. No joke. And uh, he's listening to my messages online. He said, oh, man. He's a preacher. You know, it's like, you listen to my messages? Halfway around the world. I, our missionary from Australia called me or texted me. He's listening to our messages. Never know who's going to listen. All 12 people around the world listen to our messages on our podcast. But I said, and I said that in context, that whosoever, that means, now I'm not the smartest guy in the world, I admit it. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, the smartest bear in the woods, I admit it. I'm a simple kind of guy. 
But the last time I checked, that word whosoever means whosoever. It means anyone. Even my brothers, even my sister, even my dad, my mother. The scope. <clears throat> whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Notice the simplicity of that verse. Romans 10, 13. Shall call upon the name of the Lord. Brother Wayne, I'm going to embarrass you again, Wayne Richards. Uh, my dad, as some of you know, we're going to leave tonight here. Don't pity me. Praise. Give God praise. I'm excited. My sister's driving up from New York City, and we're driving after the service. We'll drive the 500-plus miles to Ohio. We're going to see my dad for a specific purpose. I mean, how many people get a chance to do this? I get to make funeral arrangements for my dad while he's alive. I'm thankful for that. I'm going to do that, but uh, uh, on Wednesday, this four days ago, Dad, they don't hear these podcasts, so maybe I, maybe I could play it on my cell phone for them, though. But Dad, uh, about 3 a.m. in the morning, got out, uh, Wayne, your letter again. I had Mom read it again. Wanted to make sure you got saved. Prayed the sinner's prayer all over again on Wednesday, about 3 o'clock in the morning. Then I talked to my sister, Nancy, in Dayton, Ohio, Nancy had just hung up with Dad, and she prayed with Dad at about 10 a.m. in the morning, made sure he was saved. I'm probably going to go home tomorrow morning and pray. No, I don't think I will. I don't think I'll need to, but I could maybe pray with my dad. I think he's already saved, but he wanted to make sure that he's saved. And by the way, you say, how do you know your dad's saved? Well, I, I, can, I only know, humanly speaking, from a changed life, but I know uh, Friday night, and it's all, it's all good, it's okay. My brother's in the hospital in Florida right now. He got in an accident on Friday night. Everybody's okay. He's, don't worry about it. But uh, so Bobby gets in an accident Friday night in, uh, in uh, Florida. He's taken to the hospital by ambulance. And dad says to mom, we need to pray for, my, pray for Bobby. That's something that a saved man has to do, not usually lost men do. There's evidence of salvation there. And so the gospel is, we see the scope, whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord. There's a simplicity. Even if my dad calls upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. And there's the substance, shall be saved. I close with this truth. And I actually have three, three statements and I'm done. It's not on your worksheet, of course. But salvation is of the Lord and only available to those who know they are guilty and lost. See, most lost men are lost and they're clueless and they're ignorant and they're indifferent. They don't care. Not till you start getting convicted. Conviction leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Will a lost man never be saved? But I was once lost, but now I'm found. The light of the world is Jesus. Jesus came in and lighted my soul. The lost sinner, when saved, brings joy to heaven. I was joking, and I, I impugned myself too much from the pulpit, but here it goes again for the time number. I, I tattle on myself. You know what's going to make me happy tonight? Well, this is really bad. You're going to really think low of me when I really tell you. If we have a good offering this today, I'm going to be happy tonight after the service. Now, some of you say, oh, that's terrible. I'm just being honest. Because we have bills to pay. And a good offering equates to happiness in my heart. Now, that's really terrible, rotten of me, I know. But what makes heaven happy? Jesus said, I say unto you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. 
over 99 just people that need no repentance. The best thing that can ever happen at Harvest Baptist Church or any church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night for that matter is not for a $100,000 offering or $10,000 offering or whatever. The greatest thing that can happen is for one lost soul to come to know Christ as Savior. And here's the truth. Here's, here's the amazing part of it. Paul didn't deserve, nobody deserves to be saved. But he said, if nobody, if there's anybody that didn't deserve to be saved, it's me. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He knew what he was. A lost man. He got saved. And he was saved on that day in the Damascus Road. And here's the amazing truth. If you know you are lost and convicted about it, you can be saved today. Today, thank you very much, is, is the day of salvation. You can be saved today. And you can come to Christ as a child by faith in him. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you as either lost men still lost or lost men that are saved. Only two types of people in all the world. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. I'm a lost man. I'm a saved man that was lost. Lord, maybe there's someone today who needs to receive Christ as their Savior. Lord, if they're convicted of their sin, Lord, my, Lord, may they know that my prayer cannot save them. My desire for them to be saved cannot save them. Lord, but your spirit can work in their heart. And they'll call upon being whosoever. If they'll call upon Christ to save them. And they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Lord Jesus, Lord, you will save them. You promised by your word. A lost man can be saved by Jesus Christ. And believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we believe that. We know that it's we're going to take us to heaven one day and deliver us from an eternal hell forever. Spirit of God, work in the heart of, even if there's just one person that I'm praying to right now, Lord, help them as they give them Holy Spirit unction. As they cry out in their heart right now to, to have their soul saved by Jesus Christ. Lord, speak to hearts, we pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd like to be saved today, if you say, you know you're a sinner, you know you're lost, you know that you're without God, without Christ, spiritually dead, condemned by the law. You realize that there's a great penalty for your sin in a place called hell. But now you've been told the gospel story and you're willing to call on Christ. You pray this prayer in the stillness of your heart where I pray it aloud. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that it's for my sins that you died. I know I don't deserve your mercy. I deserve hell. But I ask right now, in the best way I know how, that you please forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again the third day. And I receive you and you only as my only Lord and Savior. Have mercy on me. Save me and make me a child of God today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I pray you bless as we 
Sing that familiar hymn of faith, that invitation song, Just As I Am. Have your will and way in saved hearts. And Lord, for those that maybe just got saved just moments ago, we'll thank you for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 167. Some of you don't need a hymn book, but I want to encourage you to turn there anyhow.